Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. The Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast starts 2021 hopeful and optimistic. The first four episodes will feature four men, three artists and one collector, who were all previously incarcerated. I really want to acknowledge these men for their ambition and drive and the ability to thrive and persevere despite being subjected to the injustices inflicted upon them by the judicial system. I would like to feature, in this episode, Cheryl Rowland. He is an interdisciplinary artist who creates art that challenges ideas around controversial social and political constructs and generates a safe space to process, question, and share. He was born in Asheville, North Carolina and received an MFA in studio art from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Inspired by his experience in prison for crime he did not commit, he founded the Jump Suit Project to raise awareness around issues related to mass incarceration. Cheryl's socially engaged art project has been presented at Open Engagement Chicago, Oakland City Hall, and the Michigan School of Law. He was awarded the Center for Documentary Studies Post-MFA Fellowship in the Documentary Arts at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and the Rights of Return USA Fellowship. After completing the Fountainhead Residency in Miami, Florida, he returned to North Carolina as an artist-in-residence at the McColl Center of Art and Innovation. In December, Cheryl was the recipient of the 2021 Creative Capital Award. It gives me pleasure to acknowledge him. It's an unfortunate situation, and it does have a happy ending, thank goodness. And with that, welcome Cheryl Rowland to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Cheryl, I am delighted to feature you on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Um, your life experiences uh, so far are very important ones, and I think that it would be helpful for others to have the opportunity to to learn from you as I did uh, in the process of, of getting to know you for this interview. So, so welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, um, how should we start out here? Well, I know that you were always interested in being an artist. So let's f- talk about your early years and when did you recognize your interest in creating visual art? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I started out, I was very like quiet child and I began, you know, my uh, first approach 
um, and doing drawings and sketchings for myself was mostly just tracing like comic books, uh, Spider-Man, things of that nature. Um, as I got older in my preteens, uh, my neighbor's older brother um, was really into hip hop. I, I wasn't allowed to listen just yet. <laughs> but uh, he used to introduce me to source magazines and hip hop culture magazines. Um, and I saw him draw imagery from those magazines. And then that's how I began, uh, began to start elevating into like more realistic portraitures and things of that nature. Um, what kept me going, I mean, I love the, the, the way it made me feel of being in the, like, in the zone of making. Like, it really uh, grabbed a hold of my attention and I could just kind of get lost in that way of making. Um, and I, I became very comfortable with it. Um, but what made me comfortable out in the world showing people was, you know, the little things like uh, my cousins around my age you know, taking my drawings and then showing them to either like my aunts or my grandmother and then they liking it. Um, and then, you know, along the way, you know, people uh, in high school when I, you know, start doing a little more uh, advanced drawings and things of that nature, like my grandmother getting one of my uh, pastel drawings framed and my aunt uncle grabbing one and then, you know, hanging it up in their house. Like that's how I was kind of introduced um, to like, you know, my confidence started to begin to build um, uh, in that way. But even, I never thought of it as a career. I just thought um, that I was, you know, I had an ability and I should go with that. But I was kind of going in different ways in the beginning. Like, you know, I went through a more digital way, like, um, you know, video, um, graphic design, uh, even web design, uh, as I got an undergraduate uh, type of timeline. Um, and then post undergrad, I began to you know get back into uh, stop motion animation. Um, it introduced me to photography, video editing, um, even sketching out uh, storyboards. So I was still able to kind of have my hand involved. And then it all changed once I, I, I attempted to go into grad school for the very first time. Um, and then that's when I began to get more introduced to uh, conceptual art um, and visual art of different different ways. Do you, do you recall why you leaned more towards digital? I've always had a fascination with movies. And I like to work on a number of different things at one time, uh, especially within my practice to this day. Um, so I think it was just the early part of me learning my habits and what I felt comfortable with. Uh, the camera um, and, you know, shoot photographs. And then there was a production element of like setting up scenes and spaces uh, that I was shooting and then there was the post-production of like getting all of that and then using uh, video editing software. So it seemed like it, it seems elaborate <laughs> but uh, it, it you know it I was like attentive to detail so it was like hitting so many points of what I assumed was necessary for me to kind of like make um, and keep me like just busy um, and so yeah I, I've been a big fan of motion graphics and things of that nature. Like I've been a fan of the James Bond movies, uh, the series um, and the opening and ending credits were something that I always waited for. I was, I was really more towards visual aesthetic uh, in the beginning, just more of the look and the style of things. And how your life has changed, right? How your art yeah. has changed over the years. So, yeah. <laughs> so share with us how you, decided to establish 
the jumpsuit project, your performance art? Yeah. Um, so like all those habits that, that I was mentioning that I, that was building and building um, and my attention to visual aesthetic, like, you know, putting the things that I like, making them what, uh, making things that I felt and thought was cool was the main motivator. Um, and during grad school, once I was wrongfully incarcerated in Washington, D.C., the time that I spent uh, not only incarcerated, but the time before it, um, almost a year and a half fighting it, um, a little less than a year incarcerated, and about six months on probation after that. Um, all of that, you know, my relationship with art completely changed. Uh, it was uh, really attached to the level of hope uh, that kind of was there and then left as far as like me, you know, returning to art. Um, so when I left, came out of that uh, experience, I didn't really want to touch art uh, the same way. Uh, I, uh, the same reasons why I approached art uh, wasn't there anymore. Um, and, and those habits uh, that I had uh, definitely were not being uh, attended to uh, in those um, conditions. Uh, when I chose to do so uh, in there, um, it, it had everything to do with the meaning and less about like a visual aesthetic, you know, uh, mm. it was like the reason why I was making it for the family or the, the recipient of the other, you know, person that I was in there with, like, you know, like why it was so more important because we were not able to give in that situation. So this, this item became so much more. Um, and so it was just all about the context of making that, that kind of switch. And so when I came home, I didn't want to make, um, when I tried to get back out in the world and was frustrated about that. So when I was encouraged to return to art, I was starting from a, from a foundation that was different from before. Mm -hmm. Um, and my approach to that came from really questioning myself and my life, uh, at that time, uh, in the spaces that I was, um, walking into with this new experience, with this new way of looking, uh, seeing the world and experiencing the world. Um, and so in a weird way, as this jumpsuit project began, it had the work itself, the work within the work was more so just about me. <laughs> it, was selfish. it should be. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I needed to figure some things out about myself. Now I can't say that it was a full proof plan in the beginning <laughs> but what but what was I but I was a hundred percent sure that I needed to take that step and so I needed to um, be exposed to the truths of the world I needed to be able to withstand the world's views of me in this experience um, I, I needed to work on the trust issues that I had out in the world but by also not in doing it in a comfortable setting I knew the work that needed to be to be done needed to be in an uncomfortable setting. I didn't want, I needed to be somewhat of an even playing field. Um, and so the suit, injecting the suit on a college campus, wearing an orange jumpsuit on a college campus for a year, shook things up a little bit. And it was able not only to be a learning experience for me, but I was able to get a certain honesty from that community, from that uh, controlled space that helped me, you know, practice and, and build better habits of, of talking about the situation and, and um, stretching the space that I was occupying for a year uh, so that I could feel comfortable moving through it. So listeners really don't 
know that much about you. I'll say most of them. So do you want to share your experience and how you ended up being incarcerated? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be the quick version. <laughs> that's fine. That's that's fine. A, uh, we want to talk about other things too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. um, you know, um, it's a lot, you know, it's, you know, um, oftentimes I talk about, you know, we can always think about time as like one year, two year things, but it only can take a moment to really change your life, you know. Um, and, you know, there's so much gravity to just the moment. Um so um, mine, my story began in 2012 when I was made aware that I had a warrant out for my arrest in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm born and raised in Asheville, North Carolina, and I attended school at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. And so at the time, I was going for my MFA degree at UNC Greensboro. This warrant situation came up in Washington D.C., and I, I haven't—I hadn't at that point been to D.C. for a number of years, so uh, I was confused and concerned uh, of how I could even ring up in that area. Uh, but nonetheless, I did. They expressed the charges, but not specificity, like you know what the charges were. They just told me that it was four felonies, and I had to wait for an indictment for the for the courts to reach an indictment, uh, which took another nine months. Uh, for them to take me to a jury trial. Um, And so essentially that was my first year of grad school was waiting to go to trial or for me on my side, my my perspective, waiting for them to just drop it. (laughs) Um, But they never, they never produced any witnesses or evidence. um, And ultimately they had another opportunity to lower the four felonies, four felonies to four misdemeanors um, and take me straight to a bench trial where a judge is the only one who would determine my fate. That trial date was set entering in my second year into grad school. Um, I was found guilty, uh, was sentenced to a year and 30 days in prison uh, because Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, um, any sentence that's a day over a year is considered federal. So Mm. I would have went to a federal prison. Ultimately, they just kept me in their city center jail. Hinting at the orange jumpsuit and why I wore the orange jumpsuit. It's basically a county jail, but in D.C. specifically, it's a hub. It works totally different than any other county jail that I'm aware of um, due to that it's not a city. It's it's a district and uh, not a state. But I served my full amount of time, did my probation time. I still had more. I only did six months because that's when I got a retrial. Um, and I won my retrial and then won my exoneration trial, which therefore cleared everything. My records, you know, made it as though as far as my record was concerned that, you know, I had no parts of it. It was not me, you know, being very specific and clarifying that I was innocent. It just took them long enough, you know, for them to figure that out. Um, But in so doing that, uh, after all of that, I went back to grad school made the choice and the decision to return to grad school to finish my second year, which I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to do so. And in doing that, I started a performance project um, that was essentially me wearing an orange jumpsuit every day on campus um, until I graduated. Um, and the performance regimen of that was that the same rules that I had while incarcerated while wearing the orange jumpsuit were this, I operated under those same rules while attending school wearing the orange jumpsuit. Um, So the architecture took on different uh, meanings that were relative to the 
correctional institution in Washington, D.C., where I had lived, you know, about a year or so before. And uh, I continue to do that now, as well as producing other objects um, coming from the experiences and things that I've kind of learned along the way. And you've taught a lot of lessons. How did people react to you on campus? And do you feel that you taught them a lot about mass incarceration? I hope so. <laughs> uh, I've been very privileged enough, again, to return back to the school after I graduated uh, and do talks um, in different departments um, because, you know, these issues, um, you know, obtain to everybody. Um, and so injecting that, that suit on campus really uh, flattened the hierarchy. So students, employees, professors, directors, deans, what have you, everybody became equal on the same playing field when addressing this issue or having these conversations. Um, so returning after uh, post-graduation and, and speaking with some of the students, I was able to gain an understanding of proximity. So there's some reactions that were in my face, but then there was also some reactions that I didn't know people experienced with me by, from afar because it's a bright orange suit. People can see me from afar, from far away. And some students that came forward about, you know, calling the police on me from a distance because they saw me walking into a parking garage. Um, wow. And, and, you know, it's just like, you know, some were very blatant in front of my face, like not acknowledging that I was a person and, and I became an object. Um, you know, all, all the reactions were very important to me, whether I was ignored or whether somebody ran from me uh, or whether somebody hugged me. It was all important. It was all just me learning about preparing myself for like, this is the world that I have to kind of deal with. There's going to be some people that are going to be very disrespectful to me. <laughs> there's people who, you know, think I'm a threat. Then there's also love out there for me too. Like, you know, those are just really good hard truths. Now, I also hope that by me being opening myself up to kind of talk about my very personal experience that uh, that some of the people that I spoke with kind of got a little bit of relief by being able to talk to somebody in that in that space. I remember a lot of great conversations that I had with people who spoke to me in confidence just about either family members being incarcerated um, or experiences that they had with trauma um, specifically that's unrelated to incarceration. I found that I found that people were in search of the same things that I was that I was. And I know I've grown a lot. So I hope that those other folks have too. And when you and I spoke earlier, um, we sort of got on topic of life's lessons. What lessons did you learn those 12 month, 30 day period? Ah, uh, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like it's a long list. Um value my values uh, and what I thought was valuable in the beginning before prior to the experience definitely has changed um, um, and coming out again you know it's parallel to like with the work and art itself um, what things matter what things don't um, especially of what I have control o over uh, and faith yeah that was a that was a real big big trip up uh, for me was uh, learning to uh, let go of this idea of, um, there was so much I was holding on to in the beginning. You know, I wanted to get back to school. Um, I wanted to, you know, like I made it so far. It took me so hard to get to grad school. Uh, I wasn't like a high mark student. <laughs> uh, 
and so there was so much I thought I had fought for and gained and it sucked to kind of get it taken away from me. But then I realized uh, going through that experience um, was that I wasn't in control of that in the first place. And, and, and it had more to do about the reasons why I wanted things. And so once I changed the reasons why I wanted certain things, the things that I wanted changed. Nowadays, it's, you know, I have a daughter now. My daughter was um, born while I was incarcerated. So it's not necessarily about things, but more so about appreciating time and experiences with people, the things that can't be taken away from us. Like this conversation now, us, you know, hopefully in the future we'll be able to meet face to face, but these are moments, these are times that we spend together that nobody can take away from me. And so it's like changing that value structure of things that I wanted and what I saw as important to me moving forward. And through your art, do you, have you found that people are learning through you that when you share your story, that they're, they're understanding it? Um, yes. I think a lot of times it depends on the space that my work is shown. I've been lucky enough to be, you know, have my work presented in, in museums, but then also public spaces. And then most recently I've been to a couple, like I, I went back and visited the jail uh, that I was incarcerated in. And there was a guy that was present um, that was in there when I was locked up. He had, when I was in there, he had already done 20 years. And so I had since, you know, got out and then returned to do this talk about my work and he was still there. And so speaking to him about it and the other men and women that were uh, in that facility. Um, and then I've talked at some youth detention centers. It's a totally different read of the work uh, due to the experience. And so that uh, affirmation, I guess, sometimes, like, you know, that I have to explain less in those spaces. It becomes a different conversation. And so in, in other spaces where the experience seems a little further out, um, there has to be somewhat of an explanation of, of some of the details within the work and, and that why it's important. Some of the other, you know, in that faci correction facility. I really didn't have to explain much about the work. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> right, right. it's a funny thing. They just like, oh yeah, taught, like, you know, I, you know, they connected with it and understood it was the readability of it was just very uh, easy. And that made me feel very grateful that I was able to com communicate that through, you know, objects in this performance. I am, you know, speaking the right, you know, speaking about it correctly in that way. Right, right. So on your website, um, you share number of different performances what would you say is the most impactful performance that you've done most impactful for you really educate um, people and they feel you know they feel your experience and perhaps even have a much better understanding of what it's like to be incarcerated and to lose everything yeah yeah i mean even that in itself that's very hard to uh, allow somebody to kind of understand so in many ways, I hope that we, you know, me and the audience that, that's there can kind of meet somewhat halfway uh, to a, get closer to a halfway point of understanding. I think the space itself has a lot to do with the amount of growth. I've been in some public libraries in some cities where uh, people do not want to exchange in a conversation with me. But then certain institutions like uh, Studio Museum in Harlem, that was a big thing for a num big time for a number of different reasons for me. But that community, uh, the way that institution felt ingrained in that community <laughs> was something that's very rich. 
and the the, pub, uh, the Brooklyn Public Library, the Grand Plaza, that was also an experience where like when I'm out in the public and again, this this merging of hierarchy, like, you know, the director of the library can come down, but I also have somebody that's down there selling water, stepping in my uh, duct tape perimeter with me having a conversation. And it, it relies less on me being the lead, but it requires everybody inside that space to kind of like, speak if you step inside that space then that means you have something to say and so uh other people bring their experiences in there and we all engage in learning from each other's experiences and so that's that's been very rewarding is that you know detectives have shown up formerly incarcerated citizens you know you know people have uh for you know returning citizens they have just you know stepped inside the space questioning you know this orange jumpsuit attire <laughs> There's not really many signs that say what I got going on. So it's, uh, it alerts people in different ways. But again, for people to step inside that space and share their, their experiences too. There's no video cameras or audio that's recorded. Um, so hopefully to keep the comfort level very, very good to where everybody is okay with sharing. And we all learn from each other. I can only bring what I know and from where I've been incarcerated. But going out to L.A., uh, at lace exhibitions on the Hollywood Boulevard, folks who've been around showed up. Uh, folks who had been incarcerated in Alabama, Mississippi, stepped inside that square and was talking about California. Um, so it's just very rich experience to have that type of dialogue and just these pop-up spaces. It's wonderful. And how was your experience um, at Skowhegan? I mean, just the whole process of applying and you know wondering if you'll get accepted and than actually going there. I mean, was it, I'm assuming therapeutic, huh? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really amazing. It was something that was spoken about around my institution, academic institution where I received my degree, um, but not too many people had attended uh, this residency. Um, only one of my faculty members uh, you know, went to Skowhegan and and I believe it was in the 90s. And so it was amazing uh, for the, you know, the university itself to be sending uh, a student to Skowhegan. Um, but then once I got there, it was great to meet so many different artists um, from all around the world <laughs> and to gain perspective in, in that space, which is really nice where we could rely on each other, visit each other. Uh, speak to one another and, and, and engage and build with, with one another without any without many distractions and not only just for the, the the recipients like the applicants but then also like the visiting faculty who's who stay with us and those who visit us and and, and visit our studios it was really uh really really great to learn yeah because i did there was a few other people from the south like through tennessee which was great um so you also feel like a representative. I also felt like a representative for my state, being the only one there from North Carolina. That's great. You felt proud. <laughs> I did. You were representing? Uh, yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, you know, looking at that list. I was like, yeah, like, you know, and, you know, speaking with my peers back home, you know, uh, folks who had applied and, and always been wanting, you know, I got a lot of questions when I came back about the experience itself and, you know, to those to those same friends that I met and and people who, um, you know, who work there, they're all I consider them all friends. When I talk about when I mention the word friends, it's not just like other uh, young artists that were there. 
but yeah, like, you know, I've slept on people's couches. Like, you know, we've all it remained very close afterwards. Um, it's, it's a really rich bonding experience that I have, have never felt or experienced anything like that before. Um, it changed, uh, it changed me for in a lot of great ways. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and I'm, 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 um, it's great. It's happened. It's great that you attended the residency at this, you know, at that particular stage in, in your life and in your career. Um, well, we could talk forever, but uh, I'm going to have to ask you my final question. Okay. And in many ways, you've sort of answered it, but indirectly. So I'm going to ask you the direct question, and that is, what do you feel is your role as an artist? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I often, I've been fortunate enough to believe in art in ways of, of changing perspective, of, of ways of uh, eliciting like uh, empathy, uh, seeing the same things that we see every day differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that leads to better understanding. And in a way I, I speak about, I try to explain this to my daughter a lot because she's at her age, she's a lot more comfortable telling people she's an artist. I didn't become comfortable with telling people that I was an artist until like a couple years ago. <laughs> so like she's like I'm an artist and uh, and that's a very beautiful thing and so um I try to ask her questions and and speak to her in a way of saying how important her eyes are the way she sees the world and moves through the world um and and to you know try to get her to create uh in a way that's showing her her voice and how important it is um and I and I think that's what I want to continue to do as my role as um try to use my voice, uh, my view on things and, and share them with the world and hope, you know, that we could all kind of um, get a better understanding. Um, I happen to have an experience that um, shared and uh, it's incorporated with other people's lives. And I also want to kind of bring some of those lessons in to the work um, and think that they are important for um, a wider audience to understand and see and get a perspective on for sure yeah no and thank you i mean in in a way it's a sacrifice coming from your heart and it's it's so important that the lessons that you've learned and the things that you've experienced you can take that and educate people who may you know unintentionally um, have a the wrong impression of anyone who was incarcerated, be it for, you know, 12 months to 40 years. Um, I think it's important for people to, to understand. So thank you for, for what you do. And um, I'm wishing you the best. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.